Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. Good morning and happy happy Mother's Day to you. Um, not just Mark, but especially the mothers that are present, right? Um, but I think we can all be a part of rejoicing our moms and part of honoring them, right? So happy Mother's Day to you. Um, turns out we all had one, um, unless you were Adam or Eve, right? They may not still be here, and I don't mean to make light of that, but that doesn't mean that you still can't honor her, right? And her life and the way that you live yours. And it's great to see you. It's great to be back with you again. I did not know when we came up here that I was going to be coming up here, you know, on the podium speaking to you, but definitely glad to be with you, brother... Larry told me you serve food at 11 o'clock, and it was 10.42 when I got up here, so <laughs> not the greatest at math, but that's not very long, right? So it may be a little later than that, and I, I guess I apologize for that. Uh, your appetite will have to wait just a little bit. Thank you for the songs. Um, thank you for participating in the singing. Uh, thank you to Chase uh, for the reading and for the work that you do here in the congregation and outside of that as well. We uh, it's great to be back. It's great to see you guys. Great to worship with, to worship God this morning. What was read for us earlier was Romans chapter 12, um, so verses 1 through 5 there. And I think we've heard probably a thousand sermons that have to do with those verses. In particular this morning, what I want to study with you, what I want to show with you, what I want to share with you, and hopefully you're edified by this, is a study that I've put together on Christian attitude. Not just a Christian attitude, but how we think about others, how we converse with others, how we see others, and different ways to do that, and how that affects different portions of our life. So how we do that is going to affect how the world sees us, not only us, but the church, not only the local church, but the church all around the world. And that starts with us as individuals, actually. It really, really does. So our Christian attitude, how we treat others, how we see others, how we talk to each other, and the actions that take place because of that mindset. Throughout the New Testament especially, God is mostly interested more in why we do what we do than the actual action. Hopefully you can agree with that with me uh, this morning, or you'll at least allow me that. More emphasis is put behind the why than the actual action, because we can do the right thing for the wrong reason and it did no good. In fact, it was harm or sin. The why we do what we do. So we're going to look at the motives behind that as well. I'm going to ask you to look at yourself. Okay, So we're not looking at someone else. We're not looking at our spouse. We're not looking at our mom. We're not looking at our, at our children. We're going to look introspectively. And I want to do a real look, a real introspective dive. Now, you don't have to do all of this here, but I do um, just urge you to do this in your life and put pen to paper and write down where you're lacking as a Christian. That's not a fun thing to do. Strengths and weaknesses, because we still need to work, get better at our strengths, right? We don't need to say, oh, we'll cash it in. I'm the best singer here, so we'll work on other things, right? Our strengths and our weaknesses and how uh, tangible steps to put that into play. We often just say the term, 
Bible study, and we think that's all-encompassing, and then that's covered. We don't have to talk about it anymore, right? We don't dive into the details of that. If you know much about me, I'm a pretty simple person. So, you know, the close, it's 105, 106 degrees where we're from, the high yesterday and today, so, you know, a black suit and tie, not so much. I don't drink that much water, right, to stay hydrated there. So me as a person, uh, I think of myself as pretty simple, really. Um, even when you look at a woman versus man, right, you know, we, we kind of joke, we're like, you know, the woman says, what are you thinking about? Like, Nothing. <laughs> Nothing's going on up here. We were just relaxing, you know. Pretty simple-minded, pretty simple person, and I like tangible things, right? We, I, I think it's hilarious that we almost, hilarious that we give Thomas such a hard time. We even call him doubting. Forget that the apostles did the exact same thing before Thomas gets there, right? But then Thomas shows up, and we're like, yeah, doubting Thomas. <laughs> he, wanted to, he wanted to put his hands in the scars, right, and see the holes and all that as well. A tangible person. So let's, I want to dive into the characteristics of things to, for lack of a better term, to be real, okay? If we're a family, there's times that families have to be real. And there's lots of times that we don't want that to be made public, right? So we may fight the entire way to church and we yell at the kids and we're doing whatever. And the moment we shut the door of the car and we see someone, like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> Everything's great, I promise, right? And we, we're not real. I think what we do in that instance is we teach even our children to put on a persona when they come inside this building that they have to act, they have to be a certain way, or else they're not being a real Christian. If anybody sees a flaw or a chink in their armor, they're not a real Christian. I think that's the persona, that false wall that we build up. And if we're not careful, I think that becomes a way of life for us. And that becomes the way that we go to church. That becomes how we live our life, not only at church, but away from church. When we come to church, we need to look perfect. We need to act perfect. Kids need to be perfect. Act for good luck, right? <laughs> or else we might have a flaw. We might have something we need to actually fix, and someone else would know about it. It's fine if we know about it. It's okay because we can bury it, and we don't ever have to work on it. We know it, and we can just try as hard as we can to hide it. And that becomes what we do, right? Instead of how to dig that up and fix it. Get it out and replace that with something else. So when I be 25 or so, I think, when I started to be about 23, 24, 25, somewhere around there, of course, as we grow up, right, we have these different life-changing or life-altering events. And around that age... I noticed that a lot of my friends were leaving the church. So there was like a mass exodus. Let me tell you who I grew up with. So we'll make it real, right? Um, I grew up with uh, Jonathan Minson's a couple years younger than I am, him and Hannah. I grew up with them, with Dustin Keel, with Luke Terman, some brothers from Stratford, um, from Shawnee, some other places, some different males and females. And we would typically go together to these youth meetings and stuff like that, right? Or when we would go to a meeting at a church, we get to see them, and that's our friend. Hey, how's it going? Great. So churches started closing doors, and people started leaving the church. I don't mean the local congregation and going to a different one. I mean leaving the church. They didn't go anymore. They didn't practice anymore, okay? So in my mind, I wanted to know why, right? I want to I know why. 
So a lot of times when we look at a problem in our lives or that has to do with us, we start like this. <laughs> we want to point to something else. We want to point to someone else, right? My best friend, male and female in high school, both of them um, got to be baptized. One's still in the church, and I'm married to her, and the other one is not. I take part in that failure. I do. Part of that's because of me, because of the example that I lacked to be for that person, right? Let's be real. It's similar to listening to someone, like if I was to give Brother Mark Woody financial advice, do I have any business doing that? I don't think so, right? He might listen to me because he's a nice, uh, a nice man. It would be okay, you know. I haven't, I bet I haven't heard this one, you know. I have no business doing that. Far more qualified than I am. What seemed to me to happen in the church around that period of time is I started to notice. Maybe you would see people that have never brought anyone to church, never done any kind of baptizing, right? I understand. God adds to the church, right? You have that person stand up and tell you how to have people baptized or how to bring them to the church. Do I have any business telling you financial advice, right? It's the same thing. It's the same idea. Or we have someone stand up and they tell us how to have a great marriage and they're single. <laughs> they might, sure, we've got the word of God. They've got truths. They can come out of that, right? The proof is in the pudding. Talk's cheap, right? It really is. I'm going to look at how you live. Right? That's what God's going to do. We can say all we want. He's going to look at the motives that are behind that. So I wanted to know why this was taking place, and I did a lot of finger pointing. I got real upset, and I started saying it was this elder's fault. It was this church's fault. It was this family's fault. This is what happened. And it's real easy to get real negative and to start blaming everyone else. What I needed to do was take a spiritual, introspective inventory. I needed to see where I was. Instead of waiting for someone else to go fix everything, to make everything better, I need to start with myself, and I'm the one that needs to get active. I'm the one that needs to start fixing this, to start helping this, to start being that example. Taking this um, spiritual introspective inventory. So let's read this one more time. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. That means everything other than what he says here is not acceptable to God, and it's not holy, okay? Which is your reasonable service. This is reasonable to God. He's not asking you to do something you cannot do, okay? Romans 12, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world. Don't try to fit in. Don't try to be a worldly person away from church and be a church person at church. Does that make sense, right? That's tangible enough for me. Those shouldn't be two separate people. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The complete will of God, not a halfway Christian, right? Verse 3, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. Typically, we go out and we talk about how everyone has a different work, and not everybody's a speaker or a song leader and things like that. Maybe you're thinking about that right now. I wanted to focus on the beginning of this on verse 5. 
So we being many are one body in Christ. We're one body, right? And just before this, he says not to think more highly than we ought to. Have you guys ever been to a different local congregation? Have you ever been to any other building and gone to church besides this building? It's different. It is not the exact same. It's not. It's different. At every single one of them, they have their own, whatever you want to call it, personality. It's got its own being of that church, right? Typically, they're known for a couple of people or a name or singing or preaching or whatever that is or a building or whatever it is. Maybe it's the history of that place. They are just different for whatever reason. We have gone to, um, since we've been in West Texas, I don't know, 15 churches or so that we've got to visit and speak in and things like that. Um, some very good, some not so good. <laughs> some good experiences, some, oh, <laughs> you know. It's just different. It really is. So when we take this introspective inventory of ourselves, I think it's real easy for us to try to view ourselves in comparison to someone else. We've heard this a thousand times, right? Don't compare me. To, I'm not going to compare you, myself to Dustin or whoever, right? Get a lot more air than I do. But what we want to do when we take that introspective inventory is we want to win. We want to come out as good. We want to come out as we're okay. We don't need to change. And that's why we do that. We pick someone and we think we're a better Christian than they are. And we're like, yeah, <laughs> got here way before Dale did, <laughs> right? When we take that introspective, that's usually the mindset that we have. And that's why we do it. We don't want to come to the end of that and go, I have a lot I need to work on. I really fell short. We want to win that. So we start to view others in the church. And I've done this. That's why I'm telling you I know what happens. Maybe I'm by myself in this. I don't know. I've looked at others show up that wore, you know, shorts and a t-shirt or a bandana or an ice pack around their neck or tennis shoes or shoes that don't match or no shoes. We've gone to church several times without shoes on. That's a long story. All these different things that we want to look at to make ourselves more acceptable. And all we're doing is avoiding work that we have to do in our Christian lives. We're setting ourselves up to look successful. We need to be honest with ourselves when we're doing this inventory. When we want to see where we are spiritually, we've got to be honest with ourselves. It has nothing to do with anyone else. It's with you and your salvation and your faith and where you are personally or where I am when we go to this whatever you want to call it. I've named it this. Got to be honest. And then we talked about this just a second ago. We have to make goals to improve that. We mentioned finance a second ago. A lot of them will tell you you've got to make tangible goals. You have to write it out, things that you can accomplish, that you can get towards. We'll apply that to a lot of the areas in our life, and then we come to our what matters the most, and we don't. We're like, yeah, well, we could all be better, but we're not perfect, so that means I don't have to work on it because I can never attain it. We just read that we can attain it and that God expects us to do so. Are you too spiritually weak to admit specific sins? I've heard a sermon and given a sermon um, kind of around this, around specific sins or putting a name to sin. We, we speak a lot of times, and I mean as the church, in generalities. So we all sin. Okay, cool. We don't have to talk about that anymore. What's the name of it? What's the actual sin that you're committing? 
What's the actual sin you have problems with? What do you allow to come into your life and sit there around in your mind when you allow yourself to have time and access to this and then it becomes sin? And how do we get it out? The spiritual inventory. James chapter 5. James 5 um, is verse 9 and verse 16. So do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So talking about how we see and view other people, right? When we take this inventory. Well, they don't show up Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon when we have it. They don't go to singing at the nursing home. They don't show up Wednesdays like I do. They just come here Sunday morning if they're preaching. And every other Sunday they're preaching somewhere else because they don't show up as much as I do because I'm more religious than they are. <laughs> Obviously. I'm more righteous. I'm more holy. I'm not asking if you say that specifically. How do you treat that person? And what does that say about how you think about them? So verse 16, confess your trespasses to one another. What this doesn't say is say, oh, you know, I have problems with sin. I believe he's saying you put a name to that sin. You nail it to the wall and you get rid of it. What you have then done, when you tell that brother or that sister about this sin, you created accountability, right, with that brother and with that sister. Hey, I have a problem with gambling. Maybe you should move off of Highway 9, right? Sometimes it's a big change. Sometimes it's not always a little thing. We, we sure wish it was, oh man, you know, every once in a while I say that one cuss word, but it's like every six months, so just stop saying it. <laughs> we get over it. It's hardly ever something that easy, that simple, that small. It's a big change in our life. Do we have that relationship as a church, to do it? Do we have the relationship that we're like, yeah, I have sin and I, I have problems with sinning. Don't you? Yeah, okay, we can agree. We're the same and move on. Or do we have the relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ that says, I have a problem with pornography. Will you pray for me? And beyond that, I have this spare time at this time in the day and that's when this happens. Can I call you at this time? taking steps, tangible steps towards fixing or getting that sin out of our life. But that's a lot of work, and we have to let someone know what a specific fault we have. There's a lot of excuses I come up with for why I won't do that. That is the picture of the church that we see uh, in the New Testament, starting in Acts chapter 2. That's the picture of the church we see. We see a family, literally, We'll get to that here in just a second. So when we talk about these motives behind our action, we're looking introspectively, and now we want to know why it is we do what we do, even in the assembly. Okay, so Dad led the main prayer this morning. What is the purpose of the main prayer? Is it so I can give a 10-minute prayer and everybody goes, man, you nailed it. You hit everything it said to pray for. I can't believe it. You remember the soldiers, you, you, that one thing Fox News said, you hit it all. What is the purpose of that prayer? What is the purpose of the sermon? What is the purpose of communion? What's the purpose of singing? When we're looking at ourselves, why do we do it? Do we do it because we want people to know how good we are at it? Maybe it's so they can see our new clothes, this new word that we learned, how perfect our family is, whatever that is. Why do we do what we do? Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1. I don't have um, a lot of these scriptures 
on the PowerPoint, so you'll have to flip pages or use your thumb or however you get to it. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1, says, Take heed that you um, do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. So let's remove men, okay? If you'll allow me this. Let's remove men. We'll put in Facebook, okay? Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever. Before men to be seen by them. What's the motive behind that deed? To be seen by other people, right? Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will himself reward openly. He goes on here in verse 5. And when you pray, you should not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray. Uh, standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. So what we, what we did, and this was popular, let me see. When I was around your age, it was pretty popular. The WWJDs came out, right? This isn't that, by the way. And it was typically hated by the majority of the Church of Christ because we don't have to tell. This is, I'm telling you from church leaders, right? We don't, have, we don't need that. If you have to do that to tell someone that you're a Christian, that's ridiculous. So you can't have the shirt. You know, you shouldn't wear the bracelet because they should be able to tell by the way you live. And then that same person, when we go to their work, the people at work know that they're a Christian by the way that they live, right? That's fine to talk the talk, but walk the walk. What motivates these actions? Is it so people that know they think that we're a good person? They'll go home and they'll get on Facebook and they'll be like, we heard the best sermon, you won't believe it. <laughs> is that why? If it is, it's a swing and a miss. In fact, it's sin, I want you to notice that it says here, so this is the New King James Version, Matthew 6 and verse 5. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, is the word used here. Have you ever heard that about the church? I mean, not just in a sermon, but have you heard that in the community? Like, I don't want to go to church because there's hypocrites there. Or they'll put a name to it. They'll say, so-and-so goes there. They're a hypocrite. I won't go to church there. What if that was you? What if that name was you? What if that was me? We lost a chance at a soul and their eternal salvation because of my hypocrisy or because of your hypocrisy. It's a real thing. It's not just a saying that's out there. It's out there for a reason because there's truth behind it. I'm not saying we're all hypocrites. What I'm saying is there are hypocrites that go to church. When we do this introspective look, when we look at the motives for why we do what we do, let's make sure that it's for the right reasons, prescriptual reasons. Why do you even have social media? We are really quick to come up with an answer that sounds good, right? Like a little sound bite, like so I can 
keep up with old so-and-so or so I can look at pictures of family or whatever. Well, your last 40 posts were about how you went to church at this place at this time and you went to this study at this time, you did this at this time and that, right? We all know you're real holy. Good job. So why do you really have it? Right? What's the motive behind that? Do people at work notice that we're Christians? It, it goes back to that like a catchphrase, right? We don't need the bracelet. We don't need the T-shirt. They should know. Okay, do they? If they don't, there's a problem with you. If I don't, there's a problem with me. And it needs to change. How about in the assembly, right? We talked about um, like leading the main prayer, doing a sermon, or leading a song. How about the people you say hi to when you come inside the building? Do we only talk to um, the elders because, you know, there comes influence with that and they can do something for me, and everybody else, I'm glad you could see me. What's the motives behind why we do what we do? Down to shaking somebody's hand, saying good morning, saying happy Mother's Day. What's the motive behind it? What are we trying to accomplish with that? Luke 9 and verse 33 says, Then it happened as they were parting from him. So uh, <laughs> the apostles um, are leaving Jesus here. Uh, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. So they were at the, the Mount of Transfiguration is what we call it, right? So they see Jesus' face shine. They heard the voice of God. They saw Moses. They saw Elijah talking with Jesus. I think really, you know, symbolizing the law, the prophets, and Jesus. The culmination of that right there on the Mount of Transfiguration, and Peter gets caught up in this moment, and God has to interrupt him. Literally, the voice of God has to interrupt Peter and say, shut up and listen. Right? Peter says, it is good for us to be here. We should build a, a statue for you, for Moses, for Elijah, he didn't even know what he said because he got caught up in the moment. Mark chapter 9 and verse 17. If you would turn there with me. Mark chapter 9 starting in verse 17. So there's a ruckus going on. There's this big crowd around um, the, the disciples of Jesus and they're being argued with, um, I think probably made fun of, right, by the religious people at the time. Jesus comes up here, Mark chapter 9 and verse 17, uh, says, Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who was a mute spirit. And whatever, and whenever it seizes him, talking about a demon or a possessed spirit inside him, it throws him down, he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, becomes rigid. So I spake to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. You want to talk about something devastating for the church? Is if the community has a need, they come to the church to fulfill that need, and the church can't fulfill that need. Could you imagine that? What a feeling that these disciples had at that time. They even asked him after he leaves. They're like, why couldn't we throw that demon out? He said, you're, you're weak. <laughs> Faithless generation. Let's skip down to verse 33. So then, right after this has happened, they're on a journey. They go with Jesus. Jesus talks to them about his um, 
resurrection, about his death that's coming up, right? As they go through Galilee, they get to Capernaum. And then Jesus, then he came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, his disciples, what was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? What were you arguing with each other about the whole way here? <laughs> but they kept silent. For on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. Jesus nipped this in the bud immediately. He said, get everybody in here. We're going to sit down and we're going to nip this in the bud right now. He got all 12 of them in there. And the answer was what? <laughs> a child. <laughs> There's a couple different instances of this happening. They didn't get it the first time. Who's the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest when we get to heaven? Who's the greatest apostle right now? They wanted to know. Do we do that? Who's the greatest member of South Canadian Valley Church of Christ? The motives behind why we do what we do. This has a huge effect, I think, on the local church. And not just the local church, but can be even beyond that. When we, we do this introspective inventory and we set ourselves up to, to already win, we're not honest with ourselves, we pick someone out that we think is weaker and we're more holy and more religious than they are, we make our own version of success. That's what we've just done. Now we're follow, I'm following the Bible of Topher <laughs> instead of the inspired Word of God. Now, because I don't want to do any work, I move the whole meter. No, bringing souls to Christ isn't what, what God said is successful for the church and telling them about the good news. I'm going to change it. Success is becoming a good song leader. Success is praying for 10 minutes. Success is inviting a bunch of people to church. Or it's building a bunch of wealth or, or having a bunch of children. And we change what success is. God didn't say that's what success is. We need to get on the same page, right? If that's the, the instance that we're in. We don't make our own version of success. I got to, um, to just go through this quickly. So when I was younger, I got to spend a lot of time um, with some different evangelists and some elders and stuff like that. Got to stay at their house and all these cool things. It was pretty neat. Got to go with them to some meetings and stuff. How they put sermons together. All kinds of cool stuff. Probably had more of a negative impact on me than it, than it did a positive because I got pretty arrogant because of that. One thing that I noticed throughout the churches is that anything the elders said, everybody believed. Let me tell you what I mean. So an elder could read a scripture and come up with one meaning, and even if that didn't, that had nothing to do with the meaning, everybody said he's an elder, that must be what it is. Or an evangelist, or a certain last name. I've even been talking to someone, or you're studying with them in the scripture, and I think it means this, I think it means this. Well, so-and-so said this. <laughs> Let me see where they had a part in writing. The point is we know that we're supposed to study to show ourselves approved. We know that. We'll even say it. We know where it is. We can probably quote it, right? When Paul's talking to Timothy. We know that. But do we put it into action? Or we can be lazy and be like, so-and-so, Brother Travis said this. He's really well-spoken. I believe him. That's probably the way it is. <laughs> Luke chapter 18 and verse 31 says, God, 
I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. So uh, I believe it's a Pharisee and a tax collector, right? And uh, they go into the temple or in the synagogue and they're going to pray. And this is the Pharisee's prayer. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. <laughs> I'm way better than they are. And then he compares himself to the worst people he can think of. I guess they had the IRS back then, Greg. Thank God that I'm not like these other people. Did he do a true introspective inventory on himself? No, he didn't. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. If you would turn with me to Acts chapter 2, I want to begin in verse 42. We talk about the local church and why we do what we do. Why is there a local church? Why is there more than one church in Oklahoma? Why is there a church in Norman, two in Oklahoma City, right? Wherever the other ones are. And what's the purpose of those? What are these churches supposed to accomplish as a part of the whole? Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 tells us how the church is supposed to be, how it's supposed to run, the characteristics of it. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods, divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing, so continuingly, so, oh, oof, it's almost lunchtime. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. You know how simple life would be? That's what it's saying. <laughs> how simple life would be. None of us need anything, right? So that's why it's kind of weird for us to be like, how, how do we do this? No one's really starving to death here, so I, you, know, you want me to sell the car and give them some Wonder Bread? You know, That doesn't make sense to us. But what he's saying is they had all things in common. He goes on to talk about one faith, one hope, one baptism, right? And one God, one church, one body. Not different cliques, not different people that have different ideas about different things, but one. Praising God and having favor with all the people. That's interesting, I think, in verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. That word favor, uh, charis, right? The Greek uh, word for it. Divine influence upon the heart. This church was in such a way that they had a divine influence on the heart of the community. Not just the church. Not just one person. That is the church that we're told to be. That is how the church is told to be. Variations from that don't get what they're supposed to get. <laughs> we say, oh, it'd be great if we had all those people getting baptized, right? 3,000 souls were saved, then later a multitude, then later thousands. We have one family move in from a different church, but they were already at a church, right? We counted as growth. It's not. That's bilateral movement. <laughs> they were already in the church. Now they just go to this local church, right? Growth. How do we do it? Where's the template? It's right here. Romans 12 and verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. 
Be kindly affectionate to one another. The affectionate there, um, to one another with brotherly love. So brotherly love, talking about Philadelphia, for deo love, right? Brotherly love. When it, um, the Greek word that's actually used for so kindly affectionate to one another in brotherly love. Kindly affectionate there, meaning like how a father and mother would be, or a son and a daughter would be. A family brotherly love is the point of this. Being kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. The honor that is mentioned there, um, I think tme is the Greek word for that honor that's there. And it actually means to give that person value great value, great price, to honor them, right? When we think about our mothers on Mother's Day, how we honor them, or we think about Ephesians 6, to honor our father and mother, to place that person with great value, not just because it's a soul of infinite worth, but because they're also a brother and sister in Christ. They have value, and they're to be treated as such. In fact, we are to prefer one another. That means we prefer one another over everyone else. That's what that means. If your family's not inside the church, that means you don't prefer them over the church. So being the church we're called to be, believe it or not, you are having an effect on the church. You're affecting the church, not just here in Norman, but the church across the world. You're affecting it. A lot of times we're scared to be different. We're scared to be changed. We're scared to be the weird one. We're scared to be like, hey, I'm going to take the lead. We know something should be done. And we're like, the elders will do it. <laughs> it's their job. We wait for someone else, and then we can jump on the back of that tidal wave and just ride it, right? That's why we used to really like gospel meetings. But we don't really want to head this work that starts with us. We have all kinds of excuses for those things. The bottom line is, we're holding ourselves back. And it starts with me and it starts with you. We've gone past 11 o'clock this morning, Brother Leslie, sorry. I hope that there's something from the sermon this morning um, that's caused you to uh, at least think a little bit or want to uh, study further or um, to help someone else to be able to be an accountability partner or to... Um, study these things further. I hope it has spurred you on to that, and, and it's our hope and prayer that you've been edified also by being here this morning, not just with the sermon, but the whole service for being here. Um, we've been edified by being with you, so thank you for that. We also want you to know that, I guess I don't speak for the eldership, but if you have a need, uh, don't wait. <laughs> We have an invitation song. You can come forward. You signify you need help by sitting on the front pew, right? You can do that on Saturday. You can do it on Friday. You can do it tomorrow at noon. Somebody's going to make time. Somebody's going to help you. But we do want to offer this invitation while I stand and sing this song. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com